You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hey everyone, it's Bianca Crocker, founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. I'm excited today as I have Rich Stevens from Say Australia joining me on our podcast. Say Australia helps young people who stutter learn that their voice matters and they deserve to be heard just like everybody else. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hello. Uh, I'm, I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, and it's a pleasure um, to be invited on this podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, thanks so much. So um, as the founder, obviously, of Say Australia, like many people who begin a charity, you really have a strong connection with the cause of your organisation. As someone who stutters, I understand that it wasn't until your mid-30s that you first gave yourself permission to stutter. I believe that you heard the words, it's really okay to stutter, and this really changed your life. How has your personal journey inspired you to do what you do? Yeah, so think back to the many, um, um, many years ago when I was a child, you know, and I don't think I want to give away um, in terms of my age here, but then it felt like it was a while ago. Um, yeah, as a child um, who stuttered, um, yeah, I think I had a childhood which was very, um, it was a confusing childhood, you know, and um, it was a confusing childhood. It was a very kind of lonely childhood in terms of, you know, um, the the kind of things I was dealing with because um, I don't think I knew another person who had a stutter. There was no one in my family. There was no one in my school. And kind of what I call the wallpaper of my life, so in terms of the environment around me, um, yeah, I never heard another stutter. So the world around me was around was a world of fluency. Um, so I kind of went through all that, um, you know, all that shame, all that guilt, all that embarrassment, and a sense of isolation, really. My parents and friends were all, like, great, were, like, um, kind of really supportive. But my parents weren't really given the tools. The teachers weren't and kind of given the tools um, to really know the best way in terms of interacting with me as a child who stutters. A lot of people tried to... Um, it, it, you know, if I was having a block or if I was really finding it hard to say a word... Um, people would tend and, and to like interject or try to finish my sentence and all I really wanted was, a, was that space all I really wanted was that space to say the words I wanted to say um, for people just to step back and not to interrupt because at times if people interrupted um, they might have had a guess of the things I wanted um, you know, so even from an early age, if I wanted a red pen, but they thought I wanted a green pen, so that interjection, even though people thought they they kind of were helping, um, it was really kind of not allowing me to express myself how I wanted to uh, express myself. And I think one of the tragic things for a lot of young people who stutter, um, who don't meet another person who stutters in their life, was there was a heavily influence on the fluency therapy um, and trying to be fluent and that was hard at times um, because it was easy to be fluent in a clinical environment but 
in the external environment when there's lots of stimulus, you know, it was very hard and and to be fluent for and for me. You know, I had therapy and it worked to some degree, but there was no one who I could talk to about the psychosocial aspects of stuttering. And I think the tragic thing for me and for a lot of young people who stutter, because um, over the years I've gotten to know um, a lot of adults who stutter and hearing about their times um, in childhood, you know, and even now, and even my engagement with, say, in America and with, and with, say, and with say, Australia here, young people who stutter learn quite easily or in terms of quickly as well, that the way to not be found out that you have a stutter, um, the way to not be embarrassed in class by kind of raising your hand and being asked and if you stutter, is um, like is to not speak. Mm. And that's a tragedy, you mm. know, um, because when young people aren't provided that space and if they're bullied and if they're mimicked and if... You know, and if um, their kind of stutter is handled in the wrong way, um, a life of silence tends to fall on young people who stutter. And the problem is there is that you never get the chance to express your thoughts and express your feelings, and just and and you don't have a sense of a community of other people who understand, um, yeah, and kind of what it's like to kind of struggle to say your own name. Because almost everyone who stutters, they find it hard to say their own name, and the psychos, you know, and the psychological um, effects of that, mm. you know, um, is very hard to take as a young child. So my, so my kind of personal journey with this is that, you know, I have a good understanding of, of the potential, um, you know, of those experience. You know, I have a good understanding because. Because everyone who stutters, everyone has a journey which is their own journey. But I know can what what it's like to really kind of struggle to say your name in front of everyone. I know what it's like when it's your turn to read in class, and your heartbeat is going, you're sweating, you're anxious, and it's coming to your reading term, and you're not paying attention to what is happening in that class. You mm. are just you are practicing. Okay, my passage. I'm going to read it over and over again, and in my and in my brain I'm fluent but as soon as it comes out and then the looks from people um, you know um, the strange looks and you get off people um, tend to really kind of make you go very insular in your own life and make you and to become quiet so for me when I so like and for me my kind of personal journey allows a bit of an insight into that you know it um, like it allows an insight into into the environment in the space which which I never had as a kid, mm. which I never I never had a space where where like I could go into space and I you know and I could spend time with people who knew what what it was like um, um, to like have a stutter. Mm. And the sense of solace that can come from that, the sense of community, to just go into a space and not think about how you're going to say something, and just purely how everyone, you know, how everyone else, how, like how everyone else thinks, just you know, and you're thinking of the words and, and you want to say, it and not how you want to say them. Um, so, yeah, 
I must be a huge sense of relief in that like in that situation. Yeah, I think it's just you kind of walk into that um, environment, and you know, in in the normal, um, in terms of world environment, there are so many things that are going on in your head about, you know, in terms of okay, if I stutter, how will they tend to have a perception of me? You know, because the myth and and the preconception out there are and are and kind of people who stutter are anxious, they're introvert, they don't know the words they want to say. They're stupid. They're not clever. I'm far from it. And um, it's just mm-hmm. for people who stutter, the only kind of difference is they just take a bit kind of longer to say the words that they want to say. And we live in a world which is becoming a lot more aware, but still there's lots of lots of myths, lots of discrimination, lots of like a lack of awareness about the psychosocial side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so like if you walk in that space and for the first time you were given as much time to say the words that you want to say. And if you stutter, it's okay. And for me, I never had that as a kid. I never had that as a young person. Even as a young adult, I never had that um, until, you know, um, until I came across the Stutton Association for the Young in America about five, six years ago now. Mm. So so you established, say, Australia um, less than two years ago. And as you mentioned, that was after a number of years of involvement in, say, um, in America. So how has the work that you did in America shaped what you do here? And how have you been able to tailor your mission and, and, you know, the objectives of your programs and offering to suit the Australian setting and Australian young people? Yeah, the work I did in America, um, so... um, I spent a couple of years, I was going out there from England, because as you can tell, I'm English, I'm not Australian, so I've got an English accent. So, you know, I only moved to Melbourne a couple of years ago, but I spent a couple of years and kind of traveling over to America because I was trained to be a speech therapist and they have a summer camp and I was spending a lot of time in that environment and a lot of time in their headquarters in New York, where they do these after school programs and the weekend programs in creative arts. And the work that we were doing there like I try and explain it and it's just a simple concept, you know, just giving space for young people who stutter to say what they want to say. Like, and in a sense, like and to be kids, you know, like and to be young people and to have fun and to have enjoyment and to start enjoying, um, you know, and um, to, to, to start enjoying the form of communication, you know, start enjoying kind of speaking and like expressing yourself through kind of song through music through dance and through art so I was very fortunate that I got to spend a lot of time in America at the camp um, as a volunteer became part of the leadership staff there I got invited into New York to help out in a couple of programs there and I think in terms of like in terms of the work as a volunteer you know, I was able to see the impact in terms of firsthand, but then when I became part of the leadership staff, I was able to see um, all the work that goes on all behind, you know, um, all the thought, all the craft, and that goes into the creative arts programs, and that goes into every improv game, into creative art game, um, all the thought, 
the philosophy to really like a sense of it to really help the confidence of young people who stutter to help that engagement to help that um the love of communication and to really form that sense of like yeah you're not alone you know in this but still incorporating a fun a loving environment an environment where where it's you know um where there's people who take time um because they're because there's the quote I like to use and stuff, um, you know, in, you know, in the world today, it's really kind of fast paced. And a lot of time people, when they're hearing a person speak, they just can't wait to get in there and mm. to offer an opinion or to offer like, like replying to them just straight away. But like I say, we don't do that. Mm. Um, like as a listener, we are there to try and understand, to validate those feelings of young people. So obviously I was very fortunate to see the work, you know, in terms of firsthand and like, um, you know, and um, just just the work and the craft and that is built into that. So the opportunity to bring it over to Australia a couple of years ago. And I remember a few people who were telling me that, okay, there's a model in America and if you bring it over here into Australia, you have to change it to like a degree because like the American version, um, some people think it's very much in your face, you know, and that that like Americanized. And the only word I can think of is 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 and kind of cheesy, you know, that mm-hmm. American cheesy vibe to it. And I was told off a few people just from like friends and other colleagues, but not in the say world that, yeah, if you bring this over to Australia, you kind of have to adapt it because people might find it hard to really, and kind of take to it, it, it like, and kind of when you have a description of a loving environment, a deep listening environment, you know, acceptance, empathy. Um, and in terms of say it's more than a community and it's a family, people were telling me to like, change that kind of language and for the Australian not the market but just mm. the people who were serving and I learned quite early on that I didn't have to you know I kind of mm. learned that the work that we were doing in America can transcend anywhere because we are about acceptance we are about empathy we are about a lot of love and support communication you know um you know providing that space that like pure space in that environment where where it's more than just a support group you know it is a community it is a family and I think um for maybe our families who've been coming in our volunteers it's taken them a bit of time to really um I don't think to see what what we're trying to do but at first it can come across as a very like um i won't even say ott i just think <laughs> it's new for people because mm. people um, are coming in from australia because it because it's a very kind of um to do with 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 like any treatment um to do with um adults and young people who have a stutter it's very fluency focused it's very you know, let's practice on your speech. Let's practice on your fluency. There's not a lot of group work in terms of bringing young people 
together to just talk about their feelings and mm. to offer a space where they probably don't have to talk about um, having a stutter, where they can just be young people in a fun environment. Mm. So I think, yeah, I don't think I've changed it mm. that much. It sounds like, um, you know, at the essence, I think of what, you know, what you just said around it's about trust, it's about, you know, all these different elements about belonging, you know, it's really about being human, not being an American or Australian or, you know, all of that sort of stuff really seems to have faded away to some extent in the work that you're doing because it's just getting to the really core of who we are as humans. We want that connection. We want the ability to communicate um, and to belong in a place where we feel safe to do those things. So it sounds like you've created something really special. So, Say Australia, as we mentioned, helps young people who stutter um, learn that their voice matters and and their voice deserves to be heard, just like everybody else, as you've mentioned. I personally believe this is a crucial lesson for all young people to learn, you know, finding your feet and learning who you are as an individual going through your um, teenage years and and, um, and and beyond is really important. So how do your programs and offering um, intend to achieve this outcome for young people? Yeah, so our programs, um, so like our programs, they kind of run in person and online. And our, our, um, our programs all incorporate like in the arts in terms of the creative arts and the performing arts and like all our programs um, you know, there's not a cost to them. Our programs are free, and they're free because we don't kind of want kind of families to not and kind of be able to bring their young person who suffers because of financial reasons, because mm. social, economic, and kind of and kind of status. And so, that's the reason why our programs are free. And using the the creative arts, I mean, using the creative arts as a very as a transformative tool um, for confidence, for personal growth. For young people to be able, like, and to express themselves how they want to express themselves, because it's not easy when you've had a childhood um, when your voice isn't heard and you've not been able to use your voice as much. So that's why we kind of use, um, you know, in the creative arts like song, like dance, the visual art, um, playwriting. Um, the spoken word, which the program, which is our next one, it's coming up soon. So, kind of, we use um, all those art forms to really provide our young people with tools to be able to express themselves, because everyone has a different form of how they want to express themselves. And I think for the first time, because um, I remember as a young person, Mr. Um, says. You know, it's not as if I'm saying I wanted, you know, I had dreams of being an actor or we get up on stage, but I would see like plays at school, um, like, you know, like the carol services and stuff or the school play at Christmas. And I think I would love to do that. You know, I would love to just be given an opportunity. And I think from my own insecurities, and I'm guessing the teachers as well, we're probably thinking, you know, he doesn't want to do it or, you know, we'll pick maybe someone who's fluent. I never had that opportunity, mm. I don't think. And so kind of what we do is using the arts as a tool to build self-esteem, to build confidence, um, 
to provide them with an opportunity to create a unique piece that they then get to share in front of an audience um, of friends and family, of the supporters in our world. So our young people go through a journey um, if our programs um, are 10 weeks or eight weeks and they go through a journey of learning the skills in the arts, um, through the workshops um, that we provide and then they work in small groups with another young person who stutters to work together with with the teaching artist, a volunteer of ours, whose real job is really to help to facilitate their mm. ideas, not to have an impact, you know, of their own ideas, which might sound great for the yeah. for the you know for the for the young people to share. And over the course of the eight weeks, nine weeks, they create a unique share that has never existed prior to those eight weeks. And then they get a chance to share it in front of friends and family. And kind of we meet each child where they're at as well. So mm. if they, you know, if they write a piece, but they say, look, you know, in terms of getting up on stage, it's too much for me. Is it OK if I stand there? Or is it OK if, you know, if other young people or if the staff kind of act out my play or song? Yeah, it's fine. There is not a pressure to to get up on stage or perform mm. but kind of what we hope which is the crux of what we do is this is it's all about our space you know it's all about the space that we create so everything else i view um as wallpaper and i use that term a lot you know <laughs> in terms you know in terms of wallpaper mm. so kind of what i think so so obviously we're based at the victorian and college of the arts and we have a studio and a theater there and i think for young people who um, who stutter I think how cool is it mm. that, oh on a Saturday morning I'm going down to the VCA you know yeah. in these really cool buildings and the, and the performance at the end in the theatre it's great with like friends and family but it's not about that final product you know mm. that kind of final play can be anything that they want but uh, it's not about that final piece it's about like in order for us to achieve our outcome for young people to start to enjoy, to communicate again, to not be silent, to be more confident as a communicator. And and I'm not talking there in terms of fluency, just be more kind of confident and to engage more in life in school. It's not about that final product. It's not mm. about the wallpaper around us. It's about what we create in that space. So how we achieve our outcome is just that honest acceptance deep listening, a loving environment where they see other young people who stutter, where they see adults who stutter like me, they see the vulnerable side, you know, and they have a space where no one is telling them how to speak. And the, the magic, the impact that I've seen that happens when you just provide a young person, if they have a stutter or not, you know, if you provide a young person just with that space and that love and the support and, you know, and the kind of knowledge that they are awesome exactly how they are right now. They don't have to change for anybody. They're mm -hmm. awesome exactly how they are. They are great and they're awesome and providing that space where they can express themselves that's how we achieve our outcomes, not mm. the final product, mm. purely through our space. Wow, that that last message, you know, that that's something that everybody probably needs to hear, <laughs> you know, not just about young people or not even just 
about young people that, you know, live with a stutter, but everybody at some point, you know, hearing the message that you're just, you know, wonderful exactly how you are, you don't need to do anything different is such an important message. So I think some of the work that you're doing sounds really incredible and being able to give young people a voice in the truest sense of the word is um, is really quite remarkable. And I, I liked as well you sort of, you know, that you mentioned that they can look up to some of the adults around them who stutter or other people and I, it's been a little bit in the media, obviously, in the recent months with the newly elected US president, um, Biden, Joe Biden. I don't know if he refers to himself as someone who has a stutter or had a stutter. I'm not exactly sure. But um, but it's it sort of these sorts of things do bring um, bring it into, you know, public conversation, which must only help. Um, and young people, I guess it makes it makes them feel a little bit more well, it's not just me, there's other people out there and other people that have done really well with themselves in their life and, you know, can be successful and and can have a voice because obviously as the President of the United States, you've got one hell of a voice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and like a great thing about, um, yeah, and kind of President Biden is, is is like he's an advocate as well for kind of say, so we know as the organisation America. Yeah, and I think it's right. Um, I think... Um, it's important, though, in terms of narrative that people use in terms of such and so. In terms of Joe Biden, um, he often says, like, um, overcome. And I think it's just interesting because, like, overcome and acceptance are words which I think are out there in the media. Whereas in the Stutching community, I think it's just when people say that, they really have to explain. So, like, so when people say overcome, is it overcoming the fear of speaking? Is it overcoming the mm. acknowledgement that you are a person who stutters um but but yeah i think as a community as a whole there there's there has been a lot of lots of love and support for president biden you know he's a person who stutters and you know and he's a president of america so when young people tend to see that but then i think when young people see people in everyday life who they can um probably who they can maybe even kind of touch as well you know it's like yeah. there's there's a person you know who has a stutter who has a strong stutter um who are living their life you know who were living their life they've got friends they've got a community they've got a job you know they're bringing up a family they've got children i think that the famous people is easy to see i think in mm. media but kind of when you see people who are living it mm. you know um, yeah. yeah yeah you know i'm sure there's probably been a number of hurdles that you faced since you established the organization a couple of years ago um what would you say has been one of the biggest hurdles and how have you overcome that yeah i think awareness is a big one you know mm. i think awareness and in terms of you know in terms of starting an organization with different um I suppose a philosophy which is which is um, kind of brand new um, in terms of here in Australia with working with young people who stutter, where it has been a very kind of fluency focused, um, or the outcomes have been like very focused on fluency, whereas kind of we kind of we see ourselves as more of an adjunct. It's not a replacement of therapy; it's more of an adjunct, and I think that's been the, the difficult thing. Just just in terms of the awareness, but the true awareness of our work and what we do. Mm. Um, like, so I imagine 
when when people hear about us, they might think, oh, it's a replacement um, for fluency therapy. They're not working on fluency. And obviously, kind of fluency is important at like a young age. And they say about truly about acceptance and you have to accept it. We are not about that at all. We are just about, you know, a space mm. where kind of young people can just come and be themselves. And I think when people speak, you know, when they when they have a conversation with me over the phone or they come and see a show or they come and see an open day or like I've, you know, I've done a presentation in front of students. I always found that kind of those opportunities um, provided, provide a great way to really share what we do. Um, Cause obviously we have our website, the social media, but I think hearing it and kind mm-hmm. of firsthand and then I, I can answer any questions so I think that's one of the big that's one of the biggest hurdles that I know yeah that I faced uh, mm. in terms of leading this just with just in terms of awareness in terms of our existence but then the awareness of of the true work and that we do and just trying to navigate and trying and trying to um dissolve any misconceptions mm. about the kind of work and that we do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the awareness thing is definitely something that a lot of small charities, um, if not most small charities, um, you know, would probably list as their, you know, top three challenges. Um, But the way you've just uh, identified those two aspects of it, you know, like the sort of brand awareness, but then the the mission awareness almost, you know, there's two parts to, to how you think about it. So it's it's interesting. And you know what, in all honesty, I know a number of really large organisations out there that have mission awareness challenges. You know, people know who they are, but they don't necessarily know the work they do or understand really what they do. They have assumptions about what they do. Um, so, yeah, so it's good. Um, oh, it's not good to hear having those challenges, but it's 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 good that you can recognise that they are some of the challenges because then you can, you know, hopefully put more efforts into um, into overcoming those challenges. What would be your three top tips to help others on a startup journey if they were to begin their own organisation? Three top tips, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I would say the first one, um, yeah, because I think it's a difficult thing like, when you're starting up and you're about like, yeah, and kind of pride to get to get an established, and you're kind of doing all the research. And from what, like, and from what I found, just the more kind of research you do with um, establishing an organisation, a charity, is is there's there's lots of things you've not thought about, you know. Um, I remember I was just overwhelmed by, you know, even just the business name registering with the ACNC, um, website, the domain name, just, you know, it kept on going, it kept on going. But the great thing I did is I, um, I, I made a list, you know, I just made a list and I'm not a list person at all. I'm far (laughs) from a list person, but I made a list. And it was huge and it was gigantic. And I just thought, how am I going to do this? And then all I did, I said in my mind, just each week, just see what you needed to do to get to that next stage in the list. And to just start and to make those contacts, do those emails and just take it 
a chunk by chunk at a time. Mm. And time flies. Time goes so quick. And I think on my list, you know, and I have a list still, but that startup list was a good 40 to 50 things I had to get done. Mm. And if I looked at it on paper, I thought I have to get all that done as soon as possible. Um, it would have caused me a lot of anxiety. Mm. Um, first, it did. Very overwhelming. <laughs> but I think it was just great just, just, just to take it bit by bit at a time. And then, and then every other week I was able to mark off something and then mark off another thing. And then I was able to just move through that list. Um, so I would advise that. I, I would advise, you know, like I'd get a list, things you need to do, try and put them in order because there are some things on your, on your kind of list and you can't achieve until those first things are achieved and not, don't try and get overawed by it. Yeah. Um, so in terms of making a list, in terms of doing, I'd take a lot of time to do all the, all, all the kind of research and figuring out all the red tape mm. and what you need to do and to kind of get all that list. So I think um, in terms of writing a list, I think speak to people, you know, I think talk to people, um, talk to organizations and talk to people who have been there, who have done it. You know, and I think finding organizations probably if you go to a huge organization, it might be a bit too much. I think mm. it's better just go into other kind of startups who have been there in, you know, probably 12 months ago, two years ago, because it's still there. It's still kind of fresh and because they're still at a size where they're able to provide a lot more time mm. because a lot of people are very helpful. You know, I found that. Um, mm. And I think just talking. No. Yeah, I think that is something I found really, really kind of useful. I think just kind of getting the right people around you as well, you know, mm. just just getting those people who are encouraging. Um, so when you have a philosophy and you want to stick to it and that's the mission and that's a philosophy and that's what you want to do in your goal, I think having the people around you um, and not people who are like, yes, it's going to work great and it's going to be fine, blah, blah. Having those mm. people who are really honest, mm-hmm. who care about what what you do um, and people to bounce ideas off in a genuine way and stuff, I think kind of that, that so that's helped me um, in terms of a list, speaking to other organizations, kind of speaking to other people who have been there, who have done it, um, having the people around you who are very helpful and supportive. And I'll probably add a fourth now, now as well. Uh, sorry, but I'll <laughs> that's okay. So I think kind of there is lots of information out there and there's lots of, um, you know, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of resources, kind of resources out there, mm. you know, like even like, you know, in terms, you know, in terms of yours and the small nonprofits lines and stuff, I think kind of, you know, there'll be things on that, on those, and kind of channels, which even just, yeah, you know what? I don't know how to write a grant. You know, I don't know how to find a domain name. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And there's lots of, you know, and there's, and there's lots of tutorials out there. So I think, you know, in terms of joining, um, you know, um, an organizer, you know, an organization like yours, a hub like yours, you know, you, there'll be things on there, which you can choose and which, which will help. Mm. um yeah i'd probably say those four but but like in the list for like like for me and not being overawed by it 
just <laughs> and walking away from it, you know, and just probably taking your time, having a drink and just like, okay, here's what I need to do. <laughs> and then in terms of coming back to it and then just approaching it in, yeah. you know, um, in just a compartmentalized way. Yeah. You know, just help. Yeah. Now I'm a huge, uh, advocate for list making, um, uh, uh, my business founder and uh, my business partner and co-founder Kirsty, who's our head of marketing and operations, um, is we kind of have a bit of a joke because she knows I'm I'm the list maker of the two of us, um, and I do it in all aspects of my life. I'm I love making lists because I have a real sense of sense of accomplishment when I cross them off. But I think part of it is what you were saying. It's more just about okay, I've got so much stuff in my mind that I know I need to do. If I can just get it out on onto a list, onto a piece of paper, then I immediately feel some sense of um, relief or just less overwhelm around the ability to do it because the task of having to remember everything is then gone because it's on a list. So that's a really good point. Um, we've been talking in the Alliance actually um, about some of our resources for people considering starting a new um, charity or whatever. So I think um, maybe us creating a bit of a checklist as a resource might be a good idea as well, just a starting point and, and giving people, because as you said, you know, the ACNC is somewhere where you need to go. The, the Australian Tax Office is another place. So having some of those um, points of reference might be really good. So we might add that to our resources in, in coming weeks, which will be probably helpful for lots of people. So thanks for that inspiration there, Rich. Um, I think lastly, our question um, today, and we asked some, this question for all of our guests on our podcast, because the podcast, as you know, is called Small But Mighty. So what does small, um, what does being small but mighty mean to you and your organisation? Yeah, I think uh, small but mighty for me and for, um, you know, and for our organisation and stuff, I see it as um, basically, you know, we're like, we're not like a huge organisation, um, which I think, and there's lots of benefits in that, you know, and for, you know, and for me and kind of, and kind of personally and stuff, when I'm working with young people and with families, like, you know, we, um, it's important for me that we have that, and kind of personal engagement, you know, mm-hmm. that that kind of personal engagement and that time and to kind of offer that really. Um, you know, I I pride ourselves on, you know, um, our, our like ability to get back to people in terms of straight away when people enroll or when people inquire. Um, we are able to get back to people straight away. We... We are able to have those in-person chats, those kind of Zoom conversations, um, and you know, and even when we're doing our programs, um, a lot of people who come to us, a lot of the families who come to us, a lot of our young people, they have that sense that it is a family, you know, mm. by our size and just by no, but even even if we were like they're gonna. Go, you know, a big organization stuff, you know, I would always tend to focus on that kind of personal engagement, that mm. personal engagement, that kind of the, the one-to-one with that family, the whole kind of, um, how to put this, it's that kind of whole, um, 
the family-centered approach, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So, like, even our operations, our size kind of might be small. In the future, it might be huge, you know. Yeah. I would always want that kind of um, that kind of feeling when young people, when they come in, when families, when they come in, when the volunteers, when they come in, um, that kind of they feel that small community aspect. Mm-hmm. They feel that kind of family mm. you know, aspect that they mm. are cared about, they are listened to, you know. Um, so I think that allows us, like, um, if we always have that approach, you know, if we always have mm. that person-centered approach, a young person approach, our, our family-centered approach, then we'll always be a mighty organization. We we will always be kind of mighty in the differences that we make, you know, and they, and the kind of differences that we're after, you know, is basically just, you know, helping like, liking to improve our young people's lives, you know, and that, and that can come in any kind of measure. And I think by having um, the family centered approach, the, the kind of young person, centered approach we will always and 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 kind of be able to not be an organization where we see it as a conveyor belt in terms of help it's very Mm -hmm. kind of we meet each person where they're at and what their outcomes are and what their kind of goals are you know so that's my interpretation of it that's Mm -hmm. how you know i see kind of small and mighty um yeah just 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 really focusing on because we're working with human beings just to remember that we're working with human beings and like every kind of impact that we have be it in person email you know it's not about the first impression it's about the second impression and the third impression the fourth Mm -hmm. impression just keep on going so you know Mm -hmm. our work you know our work only stays and kind of mighty if we if we never move away from that and stuff and we just keep mm. that as the central and kind of focus of our work. Yeah, that's fabulous. Thank you so much, Rich, um, for that, you know, for your thoughts around small but mighty. And it's interesting um, when I do ask that question in, in various interviews on our podcast with different guests, you know, we always get something a little bit different, but, um, but I'm always you know, enlightened, I guess, by each response. And, and that one um, was no different. So I thank you. Um, thank you so much. We have run out of time for our podcast today, but thank you so much. Um, I do really appreciate um, having you here. I know as a, you know, you're a member of our Swan Nonprofit Alliance, and it's great to be able to um, have you as a guest on our show. Um, so thanks so much for your time. And I, you know, personally, I think I've learned some some things myself as well. I, I really like the concept of that human connection that, you know, especially over the last 12 months or so, um, while we can get that human connection, you know, in a virtual way, um, it is really important. And I think you're right, we are in a pretty fast-paced world where everyone's waiting, you know, they're listening about, you know, listening to respond rather than listening to hear um, so that's something that I have thought about, you know, in my own life a bit, cause I am, you know, I was called a bit of a chatterbox as a kid, um, <laughs> and probably, um, and, and still sort of, uh, referenced 
you know, in that way. Uh, but I try a lot harder um, these days, I think, to make sure I'm listening to people. And, you know, that comes from a few elements of my life. Um, you know, I do a bit of yoga and in the yogi world, there's a saying that we hold, you know, you hold space for people. So it's um, it, it's something that I'm sort of learning. I think we're all learning in all different areas of our lives. But um, thanks so much for your time today. I've really appreciated it and really enjoyed talking to you and listening to your personal journey as well as that of Say Australia. I think the organisation is going to do some wonderful things and we look forward to um, keeping in touch with you and um, watching how that journey goes. Yeah, um, I've had a great time um, on the podcast. I appreciate you inviting me on, you know, I, yeah. And just even, um, yeah, just even like, you know, when Cher, yeah, I kind of thank you for the work that you do and for the work that, you know, the help and support that you provide, you know, for kind of people like me who are just up and coming, you know, are like are not for profits and, you know, and the kind of resources are great and stuff. So I appreciate that, you know, and oh. yeah, it, 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 like, you know, like, yeah, all we have to do at times is just step back, yeah, open our ears and we listen, you know, and that's, um, yeah, in this world, very fast paced, I think, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's kind of a skill which I think a lot of people just in life have tended to forgotten about so yeah you know so i think it's important in just all walks of life uh, mm. that we listen so yeah thank you that's really really um you know a separate piece of i think uh lesson to this particular episode for everyone is just to to step back and listen so thanks so much for your time rich um and thanks for everyone for listening and we'll um see you next time on our next podcast thank you thank you